Well, I'd like to give you all a, a very warm welcome to our service this morning, uh, to those who are here, uh, to those who are watching online as well, and a special big welcome to our preacher James Swanson, James and Rachel and some of the family are here just before they head back to Cyprus. Um, James is involved with a, a church, pastoring a church there in uh, northern Cyprus, that's the Turkish part of Cyprus, and uh, he's going to preach to us later on, and the theme is, what is your self-worth? So we're looking forward to that. But uh, also, within the service, he's going to give us a, a few points of update for prayer, and that will occur in the normal children's talk slot. So, for children, if you stay where you are this time, there's not a special talk for you. We think that uh, what's happening in Cyprus will be of interest to us all. Uh, one notice to give at the start is in relation to our Christianity Explored course. Maybe that's something that would benefit you. Or maybe it's something that you think could benefit a member of your family or one of your, your friends or neighbours. We run these courses every so often. Martin and Jane run them for us. It's a series of six. Um, it's done in a very informal setting over a number of evenings, and we've got one uh, coming up on Tuesday the 5th of September, that's the, the start date for it, so if that's of interest to you, or have got some questions about it, uh, then do speak to Martin or Jane, or people can also book on through the website. Well, I have a psalm to read before we have our first song, so I'm going to read through Psalm 19, and it begins us pointing us to the skies as the way in which they declare God's glory. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. It's rising from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. And God then revealed through the scriptures, the law of the Lord is perfect, Reviving the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. And then a prayer in response, which is good for us at the start of a service. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Well, shall we then turn to God in praise in singing our first song? It's the song, All Heaven Declares the Glory of the Risen Lord. And we shall sing the song right through twice. we want to come together in the spirit of the things we've been thinking about, the psalm that we've read, praising you for your glory revealed in the skies. It's easy to do, easier to do on a, a lovely day like this with the blue sky and with the countryside shining out. We praise you for your creation and all that you have made. We praise you for your word which you have given which gives life and which gives wisdom and which gives guidance and which gives joy. And we thank you to have it open, to be thinking about it this morning. We pray it will do us good. And as we come together at the start of our worship time, 
we do pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Well, our main reading is from 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7. Uh, James is going to be preaching from the latter part of our reading particularly. It's on page 955 if you've got a, a church Bible, but it will also be on display next to us. And Paul writes this letter to the, the Christians at Corinth and uh, some of it is in response to the issues that they have raised. And here it's in relation to sexual relations, marriage and singleness. And we're going to read the first 24 verses of this chapter. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights, that is the love and affection due within marriage, and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each one has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord, that is, Jesus explicitly taught about it. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean but as it is they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates let it be so. In such cases the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? 
only that each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So, brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So reads God's word. Well, shall we come then to our our second song, which is, Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mould me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. And after this song, James is going to give some words of update. privilege to be, I think, back home. Uh, 
But then when I go back to Cyprus, I say back home. So I'm confused. That's my status today. I am confused. But I am delighted, I know that for sure, to be with yourselves. Uh, John, please don't take this wrongly, and that's not as a correction, but it's just as add a bit of emphasis here. John said that I was going to speak about uh, the work that Rach and I and we are doing in Cyprus. And I just want to take a step back and, and say, no, I'm updating us on the work that we, we, all of us, are doing. Uh, Rach and I happen to be in North Cyprus. But we couldn't do it without the support of Forest Fold. We couldn't do it without uh, your prayers. And we want to thank you for your prayers. We want to thank you for your uh, ongoing uh, support and, and plead with you to continue to think of it as a partnership, not just as some people that are over there, but you are there with us and we are here with you and we're working together uh, in the Lord. And so, oh, that was a surprise. Okay, we'll do this one first. We'll not do that one. I sang that already. Is, is this my imagination, or is, is this system like a Cypriot system? Manana, Yaran. It has. Thank you. I'll just... This was uh, what we're going to now start calling our Holiday Bible Club. It was the actual Bible Academy, and the reason we're going to call it a Holiday Bible Club will come apparent in, in a moment. But the reason I wanted to, to put this up here was just a few weeks ago, we had some friends from Yate come across to do some teaching for us, and we had around 60 young people arriving at 9 in the morning. Well, they didn't all arrive at 9 in the morning, to be fair. Uh, but by the time we got started, there were was, was 60 uh, of them, and we went through the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation over the week. And it's just absolutely thrilling to think of so many young people, student age people, who are willing to, to give up their holiday time to get stuck into uh, God's word. Uh, for many of them, it's the first time that they've sort of gone through the whole of the Bible uh, consecutively, from the beginning uh, to the end. And, and one of the young men, after the week, came up to me and said, Pastor James, can I ask you a question? Now, whenever you're a pastor and you have that question, can I ask you a question, you are really not sure what to expect yet. On, on the one hand, it could take you to elations of excitement, and the other hand, it could take you to absolute depths of despair. Particularly when we've just gone from Genesis to Revelation, and there's a lot of questions that can be asked. But he said, James, back in my homeland of Rwanda, we have all manner of preachers and teachers. And these preachers and teachers come as apostles. These preachers and teachers come as doctors. These preachers and teachers come with great titles. And he said, why haven't any of them taught us from Genesis to Revelation? He said, this has been the most exciting week of my life. And so on the one hand, you have this desperately horrific situation to think that that's what's happening. That God's word isn't being preached in its entirety. And then yet on the other hand, you have this absolute excitement that this young man and many others like him who were just blown away by being stuck into God's word. 
And so pray that that would continue. We, we carry this course on. But we have that ongoing appetite week by week, uh, the various uh, things that we put on. And we want to pray that not only would they be excited by it, but they would be touched, moved, and changed uh, by God's word. The prison. Rachel and I are spending more and more time there. Uh, not because we've been naughty yet. Uh, we could maybe later, but that's another slide. Uh, but it's just thrilling to think, and I want you to continue to, to pray for that situation there. It, it almost seems wrong to call it uh, a work, a ministry, because it's, it, it's not in the formal sense. But within that prison today, on the uh, four uh, male wings and in the female wing, there will be brothers and sisters in Christ meeting together and worshipping God. There will be brothers in Christ witnessing to the other inmates around about them. That's North Cyprus. That's a prison. And that is what God can do. And so, yes, Rachel and I have the opportunity and the privilege to, to meet with a few of the inmates. And uh, our desire is to encourage them to answer questions. And there's masses of questions that come out of the prison. Uh, at one stage, they didn't have a, a service on the Sunday because they weren't allowed to call it a service. They had what they called their Bible argument. Their Bible argument time. And, and they were... The warders were quite happy for them to argue over the Bible. So. And oftentimes there would be an argument that hadn't got an answer because they weren't sure what the answer was. So in the week when I was speaking to Sunday or to Samuel or to uh, one of the others, they would ask the question. And, and you could just tell by the expression which side of the argument they were on <laughs> when they got the answer. But it's just thrilling to know that the God's word isn't kept in bounds and, and nothing can stop. God's church from prevailing. Hussein, when I was here uh, previously, I showed a picture of him being uh, baptized. He is uh, a Turkish Cypriot believer, and he came to faith through the internet. And, and he's really desiring to reach out and share the gospel uh, with the others. And he's been someone who's been very good at inviting people along two meetings, inviting people along two services, but now he's extended that and he's just started doing uh, a weekly, I guess you'd possibly call it a podcast uh, on different subjects. This subject he was talking to, to Phil uh, about uh, life after death. That was the sort of the, the catch, the, the hook if you like. And he is really enthusiastic about this and we praise God for that. And I'd like you to pray that his efforts would see fruit, that God's word would not return void. But not only would his efforts be rewarded in that way, but his enthusiasm would be contagious amongst the other Turkish Cypriot and the other Turkish-speaking and across everyone's lives. So they wouldn't just be happy to watch someone else do it, but they would uh, get involved with it. And I'm sure you see it here. There are some people who are very keen uh, evangelism and reaching out and we leave it to them and I think it would be a travesty if Hussein was the only person that was involved in personal evangelism in Cyprus so pray that his enthusiasm would, would be contagious and others would get uh, involved in that way and then lastly if my expectation is correct 
and my button pressing works, which neither happened. The last slide was going to be of Vaisal and Sarah uh, and their young son. Oh, the last slide is a blank. Imagine Vaisal and Sarah there holding a baby. Uh, they're in Turkey at the moment, and we're giving thanks for how the Lord has come in for uh, Vaisal in the sense that since uh, they've had the child, the family have been much more accepting of him and, and Sarah, and they're over there now. And Vaisal's big prayer is he has opportunity to be able to share the gospel uh, with his uh, mum and dad. And we're seeing Vaisal much more involved in, in the work on the Turkish side uh, because of his situation and his change, and he actually has more time to be able to devote to, to, to helping and serving within the church and we're seeing him develop and grow and we're thankful uh, for that. Uh, what I will try and do is I will give Dave the, the, the last picture of Vaisal and somehow as a church you will see that and be able to pray for that separately. Thank you. James and uh, we want to respond in prayer to pray over the things that we've heard and to pray about other things as well. Uh, as well. So let's turn to the Lord in prayer and pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you as our Father, as believers knowing that we are in the family of God, safe, uh, secure, loved by the fam- Father, having relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ, family home to head to. We thank you for the joy of being able to say our Father. Yet you are in heaven and by that we remind ourselves of your glory and your majesty and your power, the honour that is due to your name, that you are the transcendent almighty God, glorious in holiness, And we want to worship you. So we come to our Father in heaven. We come with thanksgiving for so many blessings in our lives. For each day is lined with your goodness. Our cup overflows. We come with confession because we do wrong. And we do not love you as we should. And we do not love others as we should. And we pray for forgiveness for those things, looking alone to Jesus who died on the cross for us. We come to you uh, with need, looking for your help in our lives, looking for guidance. You would help us to go forward in the paths of righteousness. You would help us to walk worthy of the Lord, to walk with you in our lives. For some there is a a time of change coming up. We pray for our young people. Uh, They've heard uh, some of them results these last couple of weeks as a bearing on their future, whether locally or beyond here. We pray, Lord, that they may feel a sense of clarity as they go forward, of peace in you, of desire to put you first, to seek first the kingdom of God, and for your help and leading and guidance as they go forward in their lives. For those who are unclear yet what is right and who feel the need for work or different work, we pray, Lord, that you would give them patience, 
provide for them and bless them. We come thankful as a church at, uh, towards the end of the summer. We're just amazed at how kind you've been, Lord, to us in our summer activities. We've given thanks for the YP holiday, for the camp week, and now we give thanks for the lighthouse couple of days that we've had this week and how well they've gone for the good weather for so many youngsters uh, joining at Adamfield there at Alderbrook, so many parents, for the helpers, for the talks, for the relationships being built up, for the New Testaments being handed out. We pray, Lord, for that week that there may be some ongoing blessing to individuals in their lives as they've had contact with your word. We thank you as well for St Richard and their ongoing gospel witness in that area. And we pray for your work and blessing and love to be shown through the work of both churches. Lord, we're thankful to, to give thanks for what you have done in northern Cyprus. When we think of the years that... Uh, there has been ministry there, a gospel witness through James's dad and then in the last decade plus uh, with James and Rachel and others working with them. We just praise you for the way in which so much good has been done and so many doors have been opened. And we, we thank you for that Bible Academy and we pray that that will really ground uh, those people in your truth and be a really fruitful for them in going forwards and for their, their life of service. We give thanks for the prison opportunities and we pray for them as they do meet to study your word, they talk together as inmates, that there will be a work of grace in the lives of many and the discipling of believers we pray for the churches and its involvement there. Lord, we do pray for uh, the ongoing ministry. We thank you for the encouragement in the Turkish-speaking side of the work. I feel as though they've been a long time coming over these years. But it's so heartening to hear of Hussein and his conversion and his witnessing. And it's so heartening to have Vaisal taking up uh, some responsibility in uh, working amongst the Turkish speakers and we do pray that that work may be strengthened and blessed. We pray for uh, James and Rachel. We pray that although it's often a hectic time when they come here to the UK that they may go back with a, a sense of spring in their step with some refreshment of being blessed to be with uh, believers here and uh, to be together as a family. We pray that uh, you would help them to have a sense of enthusiasm and, and not weariness, but strength and encouragement and wisdom as they return to responsibilities in this coming week. Help us in our support of them and in our prayerful interest in your work, we pray. We remember uh, Rosie as well, Rosie Crowter, with some of the speaking engagements she has coming up 
And particularly with the Grace Baptist Camp speaking opportunity, Grace Baptist Mission Camp uh, next weekend, and uh, feeling quite daunted about that, we pray for your help for her, and that that will be a really good weekend for the young people which go on it. Lord, we pray for others who speak, and ask that you would bless them. For Keith, as he speaks at Five Ash Down, often helping out in the smaller churches, encourage him in his ministry. Bless others who preach your word to the churches. Help those as well involved with Bible studies and courses. We commit to this Exploring Christianity course and the other courses and their follow-ons which occur and uh, Martin and Jane's involvement with those. We pray, Lord, that you would use those, teach people through them, draw people to the Saviour, we pray. Lord, we have delighted in your word as we've read Psalm 19. And we come to your word this morning as it is preached to us. And we pray that you would incline our ears to your word, that you would open our eyes to see wonderful things in it, that you would unite our hearts in sensitive, wholehearted response to your truth. Bless us then as your word is preached among us. For your glory we pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we come to our next song then before James preaches to us. There are many voices that we hear around us and this encourages us to hear above them all the voice of Christ. Above the voices of the world around me, my hopes and dreams, my cares and loves and fears.
to the tech team upstairs, I, I apologize, I've made an executive decision and I'm putting that there. So if you'd like to follow with the slides, I will try my best to make sure that I label the points clearly so they'll come up on the screen. But I don't want to be distracted and I don't want you to be distracted, so that's why that's the case. Just the other day, uh, with the family, uh, Noah and I did what Noah and I love doing, and we walked into an art gallery. In many ways, we should never have been in this art gallery. The price tags had too many zeros, and the decimal point in the wrong place. But nonetheless, we, we looked, we enjoyed, we, we saw, we discovered, uh, and we managed to blag some interesting explanations out of some of the paintings that we didn't understand. The lady was quite insistent that she thought we should buy something and optimistically took Noah's email. And then since then, Noah has been stalked by this person who's wanting to sell the artwork. And she went onto his Instagram, and onto, I'm not sure Instagram, but certainly his LinkedIn, because she was wanting to find out his net worth, I think. Not his self-worth, but who he was. What sort of money he had. Whether, whether he should have even been in that shop looking at those pieces of art. Uh, no one's got in touch with me, but you can make that of what you want. But what is your self-worth? And, and so often nowadays, our, our self-worth is linked to our LinkedIn account, or linked into our Instagram account, or linked into our social media. Our social media is how we announce our self-worth. Or, or maybe, if you're older, it's the car you drove up in. Or the property that you stay in. Uh, so often our perceived self-worth is valued by the standards that society and culture put on us. And you might be thinking, what on the earth are we talking about self-worth when we read a chapter, and as John quite uh, carefully told us, was about sex and marriage and other very intimate things. Well, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this chapter 7, he was answering those questions. But in the middle of this letter, in the middle of this explanation of these hard-hitting themes of sex and marriage, he, he goes off what seems to be a tangent. And these are the verses that we'll be looking at this morning, this, this tangent. And he explores a, a reoccurring theme of 1 Corinthians, and that is unity. He, he was upset that the church in Corinth was was being disunited, disunited, not a good word, uh, losing their unity. They, they were going off in different directions. And, and a lot of that's because of, of a wrong attitude to self-worth. A wrong attitude to self-worth was undermining the unity. And so my, my first point here is there's three different statuses that, that Paul outlines to the church at Corinth. Three different statuses. And the first one is not mentioned directly in, in the, the passage, the context that we are, the passage that we're looking at, but it's in the context. And he starts off by talking about being married and being single. So the first status that Paul addresses here is married or single. And there were those within Corinth who were single for, for lots of different reasons. There were those that were never married, those that were widowed, those that were divorced. And, and there were even some people that were thinking about becoming divorced because they thought that that was a better way to be. And there was a whole lot of mixed up mess going on. But big picture, God assigns our marital status. Both 
being married and single is a gift from God. We're just getting on to the chapters about spiritual gifts in, in Cyprus. And, and what strikes me as amusing, if, if you're allowed to think of these things as amusing, is the first spiritual gift that Paul teaches the Corinthians about is the gift of singleness. And I've never been in a prayer meeting where the young people have been beseeching God for that particular gift. But singleness is a gift, just as marriage is a gift. And one is not better than the other. They do have different advantages and disadvantages. Not one is more important than the other. And so being married or being single, those 2,000 years ago, was a cultural identity. And if you flick onto Facebook, it's it's identity now, isn't it? We don't just have the married single option. You have a civil union, a domestic union, an open relationship, and it even gets complicated. Well, you can actually be in a complicated relationship too if you want, and you can tick that box. And so we now in our lives have a similar situation, don't we? Our identity is often tied up. Our worth is often tied up in our status of being married or single. And then... Paul moves on to another set, his second one that he brings out very much in this passage, circumcised or uncircumcised. And this was a really big deal in the New Testament church. Different cultures coming in, the Jews being those that were circumcised originally at birth. And so many of these circumcised Jews, when they came to faith in Jesus, also thought, well, actually, to be a a true believer, you need to be circumcised. And and these believers that were known as the circumcision party were putting pressure on believers that weren't circumcised to become circumcised. But also there were others there who wanted to reject their Jewishness. They they saw their their Jewishness as being uh, a a problem. And, And the Gentiles at that day and age despised circumcision. They considered it mutilation and that led some of them to try and disguise the marks of it. And so there's this status, circumcised or uncircumcised. And then people were sort of wanting to transition between the one and the other, depending on what was socially better for them. And so being circumcised or uncircumcised 2,000 years ago was a cultural identity. Now, no shock to you, it's not the same for us now. But within church life, we can have our own identities, can't we? We can have identities of being evangelical or non-evangelical or Baptist or uh, Presbyterian or Reformed or traditional or modern. And all these labels can become part of our self-worth. Our self-worth within a church community, our self-worth within a religious family. We are this, we are not that. And then the third status that we have here is free or bond servant free or bond servant. And again, this is a big issue of the day. If you look around the congregation of Corinth, you would have seen, probably been able to identify, probably been able to pick out who is who. What fascinates me in uh, our church situation, maybe a Turkish service, special service, we've invited people in, people come in through the door, they look round, and then they go and sit with their people group. So the Turkish Cypriots sit with the Turkish Cypriots, and the uh, mainland Turks sit with the mainland Turks, and the Syrianis sit with the Syrianis, and, and they all know, and they all go. And, and, and in those days, you'd have looked around the congregation, and you'd have immediately been able to see who was the free, and who was the bond servant, just by what their clothing was, where they were sitting themselves. Now, this passage is not a justification for slavery, 
And, and the Bible clearly, clearly, clearly speaks out against slavery and oppression and, and racism. But we have to remember that the context is different. And generally speaking, bond servants weren't treated that badly. Generally speaking, bond servants in many ways could be a career base. And, and some people, some freeborn Greeks would choose to become bond servants in a Roman household so that they could become Roman citizens. And so although it's the status of one or the other, there were people thinking how they could work the system. And, and free men would often think of themselves as, as better than bond servants. We're free, and they're not, and we can do what we like, and they can't. And now Paul is not encouraging slavery, he's not encouraging the situation here, but he said if there was the opportunity to be free, he advised the people to take it. But what his concern was, was people becoming obsessed by climbing the the social ladder. And so, 2,000 years ago, being free or being a bondservant was a cultural identity. And it's not the same now, thankfully. But some of your bosses, and excuse me if you are a boss, don't take this the wrong way, are like slave drivers. And, and, And sometimes the attitude of those working can be less than what it should be. But occupation nowadays is a, is a big definer, isn't it? Uh, along with status, uh, along with your status on the social media platforms, very often you have your, your, your whether you're single or, or you're married, and often you'll have your occupation. And why is that? Because as a culture, as a society, we, we label people by their occupation. We, we, we take an image in our minds of what they are. We, we give them a self-worth around their occupation. Certainly in Cyprus, uh, very soon, in, in polite conversation, after you've got the hello and the introduction out of the way, it's, what work do you do? What do you do? And why do people want to know that? Because then they can put you on a ladder of where you are socially. Where do you live? And so if you say Montage, they'll think, no, oh, it's Montage's area. And if you say St. John's, they'll think, oh, St. John's area. And by these different names, you're doing it yourself. You're smiling. You know it, don't you? It happens. And, and so back then... Statuses were, were, were valued by society and it would give them their self-worth. People, would, people would, would work hard. People would be obsessing over their status. People were desperately trying to transition from being those that were free to being bondservant because then they get Roman citizen because that's better. And, and those that were uh, in a different situation were trying to get somewhere else. And as people sat in the church, as they came in, as they looked around, they would uh, assess each other on their their self-worth, on their social status, and that led to disunity. The the, the, the oppressed bondservant, oh, he can't talk to the the, the free person over there. He's he's a business owner. They're they're awful people. And and, and the the wife of the business owner, here, don't speak to them, they're smelly, They're, they're the peasants. And disunity was, was coming out of this. And, and, and the world's... You see, Paul was telling the Corinthians that these distinctions, these social values, were not the big deal that society held them on to. The world's social distinctions do not matter in the church. Or perhaps I should say the world's social, the world's social distinctions should not matter. It's a difference, isn't there? Should not means actually sometimes they do. And in this church in Corinth, 
they did, and it was causing a problem. See, the world's values should not matter in the church, but the church at Corinth was getting sucked into the world's values. And and Paul wanted to point these brothers and sisters away from the world standards to what their true status is. And so we've seen these three statuses. And secondly, our big point, our main second heading is our true status. We can see this in verses 22 to 23. And in these verses, these eight verses, this section here, the word called and call is used eight times. So call or called in that derivative used eight times in eight verses. And all of you who study God's word know that if there's something repeated a lot within God's word, you've got to wake up, you've got to pay attention to it. Called. Now this word called here in these eight times it's used It's used in two different ways. We need to get our minds around this because this is important. In verse 17, Paul says, Only let each person lead the life that God has assigned to him and to which God has called him. So this is talking about someone's situation. This is talking about someone's status. This is talking about someone's life. If they are bond or if they are free if they are married or unmarried, if they are this or that. And that's a calling. That's called. And that's what God has called them. And I'm going to call this, just for our sakes here, as a horizontal call, a a, a world calling. And so, so get this, friends. Just get this in your minds right now. The situation you find yourself in, the occupation you have, and if you dare say, I'm just a housewife, you're not just a housewife. God has called you to be that. God has called you to be an occupational therapist. God has called you to be a student. God has called you into your different situations on that horizontal, that horizontal calling, as it were. But then, that's the only time that one is used. The rest of the the, the word call is is a vertical call, a a, a saving work. And that's what Paul concentrates on, a saving work, a vertical call. And so Paul is speaking to these Corinthians and saying, you're getting sucked into the world's thinking. The world is telling you that circumcision and uncircumcision, the world is telling you that being married or unmarried, the world is telling you that being uh, free or a slave is the big deal, but that is not the big deal, Corinthians. The big deal is this, you are believers, you are called by God. So under this second heading, our true status, our first subheading is called by God. This was the big, big deal that he was wanting to get across to these Corinthians. But the first reason why all these other statuses are not important is because the Corinthians were called by God. Most of you, if not all of you, have probably played top trumps at some stage in your life. And and the trump card, the big card, out-trumps everything, doesn't it? That, that, that winning card is, is the one. And then the fact that we are called by God, the fact that the Corinthians were called by God, trumps all other statuses. The, the Corinthians' self-worth is not in their status according to culture. The fact that someone was a doctor and someone was a road sweeper, that's not their value. 
It didn't come in the fact that he was married for 20 years and she was single for 18. That's not where their status came from. No matter how attractive or important the job is or the bank balance is, the important fact is that God had called them. God had called them. And this is so, so very important for the Corinthians because it made sense of their every situation they found themselves in. Every situation, if they were married or single, they were called by God. It makes sense of it. If they were circumcised or uncircumcised, it doesn't matter, they're called by God. Free or bond, it doesn't matter, they're called by God. And this is exactly the same for us. When we, we get so caught up in, in getting stressed about labels and titles that the world gives us. And friends, today, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, you're called by God. And the fact you've got a Mercedes or a Skoda or a bicycle or you just walk to church doesn't matter. The fact you came from a two-bed up-down terrace house or came from a mansion, wherever, doesn't matter. You're called by God. And being called by God gives us our true value. It gives us a purpose. Your purpose in life is not because you're a teacher. Your purpose in life is not because you are a pastor. Your purpose in life is not because you are a student. Your purpose in life is because you've been called by God. And this gives us contentment in this restless world. There'll be some of you here and you don't know what I'm talking about. And, and, and you're striving to make life work for you. And, and you're racing after all this other stuff. And you stand next to people who are content. And why is that? Because they're called by God. They know Jesus as their saviour. And everything's changed. The whole dynamic in their mind has been changed because at one time, like you, they were chasing after wind and getting nothing. And now they've got contentment. They've got sense. They're called by God. Sometimes as Christians we struggle to be obedient. We go off and do our own thing and go our own way. And that's because we've lost sight of the fact that we are called by God. And for these Corinthians then, to think they were called by God powered unity. There was that rich, wealthy landowner on this side. And there was the the road-sweeping slave on the other side. And the unity was the fact they were both called by God, not one more, one less, both called by God. God had called them. And one of the main reasons that the church is in a mess, one of the main reasons that individual Christians are in a mess and our spiritual lives are not going anywhere and we're not growing, and one of the reasons we've lost sight of doing evangelism and we forget to invite people along to explore Christianity is because we've lost sight of our identity and our value in Christ. That's what the church desperately needs. That's what individual believers desperately need. It might be what you desperately need to hear this morning. Your value is in Christ. You've been called in the Lord. And and, and tragically, the church at large has put way too much emphasis on the world's values to, to the extent that it thinks that God is their fairy godmother to achieve what they want. God God is going to give us all the things we need. And it goes to the end of the prosperity gospel. We go, we're not like that. Well, praise God, we're not like that. 
But if we think about our praying and our prayer lives, so often we, we, we've brought God down to that level of thinking that his job and his role is to give us the desired wealth that we want. To give us the prosperity, the occupation, the position. Now God is concerned about these things. And God takes care of us as a heavenly father. But all too often, rather than looking at our heavenly father, we've got caught up in that stuff. And Paul was concerned that these Corinthians were, were tempted along these lines. They were happy with their calling. They were happy to be called. They were excited to be called. But they were still going after what was important to the world and society. It's like this tension, a cake and eat it. They wanted it all. And now, well, we can be just the same. We can want the blessings of salvation. We can want the comfort of knowing we're going to heaven. We want the, the comfort of knowing what, what our, our, our place in God's kingdom. But at the same time, we want the enjoyment of this world. And it could be subtle. It probably isn't some big, dark, nasty sin. But work and career can take over from serving the Lord and being part of the church family. Or being pulled into this notion that before you do any evangelism, you need to sort of find yourself. I can't love the lost unless I learn to love myself. Work coming first, career coming first. Making money being the all-important thing. Finding a partner. Promoting yourself on, on social media. These are the things that, in some ways, are not bad themselves, but they can take the place. And, and Paul was saying to these Corinthians, being married or single, it, it, either of them are good, it's a blessing, but don't get caught up, and that's not what life is all about. Being a bond or a slave, being free or being a slave. Yes, there are issues, but that's not what life is all about. And so I think Paul was thinking, okay, I've told them they're called in the Lord, but this is not enough. He really wanted to, to ramp it home to them. And we need to have this ramped home to ourselves. Friends, if you are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, you've been bought with a price. You've not just been called by the Lord, you've been bought with a price. Paul wanted the Corinthians to remember that they were not just called, but they were bought with a price. This, this was very relevant to them in that day and age. It's a culture where you could buy your freedom. It's a culture where you could, uh, a slave could be bought or sold. It, it was something they understood. We understand the concept of buying something, and the buyer owns something, don't they? And our salvation, our salvation is only possible because the price has been paid. And friends, don't ever you think that the price was paid to the devil to free us. That's not the devil's work. The devil doesn't hold you. Your problem and our problem is that our sins deserve the eternal punishment and the wrath of God. That's the price it needs paying. The price needs paying to God. And the only way that we can be made right with God, the only way the Corinthians can be made right with God, is if our sins, if their sins, have been dealt with. 
And, and what Paul was saying to those Corinthians then is just as relevant to us now. And it's this. Jesus, the Son of God, left the glory of heaven. We, we, we can't get our heads around this and no illustration really gets it right, does it? But I just want to play with this one for a moment. I think there's a big game of football going on now or sometime today. And I'd imagine that a royalty is watching it. Yeah? So, so there we are, we're watching this big game of football and the royalty's there in the royal box. And he comes out of the royal box and comes down to the pitch, not to play, but to be the ball boy. He says, that's ridiculous, that's not going to happen. And it is ridiculous and it won't happen. But this did happen. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who'd led, who'd led his whole eternal life in absolute pure union with God the Father, left heaven. He left heaven. Sometimes it's hard to leave Cyprus because it's a nice place. And come to England, which also is a nice place when the sun's shining. But he left perfection to come here. And, and he gave up so much. And as God's word tells us, he was born of a virgin. Like every one of us, he entered into this world in the same way. Can you imagine this? God himself comes into this world like you and I came into this world. Through a miracle, of course. Through the divine intervention of the Holy Spirit, absolutely. But Jesus humbled himself to be a baby who needed a nappy changing. Can we get our heads around that cost? God himself needing to be cared and nursed and looked after. God himself being taught by his father, his earthly father Joseph, how to be a carpenter. And while all this was going on, he never sinned. He hits his finger with a hammer and he doesn't swear, he doesn't curse. His mum tells him to clean his bedroom and he goes and does it. He's always honouring his parents. He's no sin ever committed by him. And yet he came to live an obscure life for 30 years. And then when his time came, he had three years before he was nailed to a cross. And so often we think that the price that he was paying was being nailed to the cross. And, and the cross was horrendous. And the cross was painful. And the cross was a shocking spectacle. And yet that's only just a fraction of the price that Jesus was paying for the sins of his people. You see, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus took death upon himself. The wages that he did not deserve, he brought upon himself and sucked it up and had it on himself. And so being nailed to that tree, 
suffering that the mockery was a fraction of what was going on. But we get an insight of what was going on by something that happened. The whole world was plunged into darkness and it was as if God the Father could not look upon or did not want society to see his wrath and his anger being meted out upon his own son. And as God's word tells us, Christ became sin. How does that happen? And this is the price that Jesus was doing. Jesus, who was eternal physically as a human, died. And physically as a human, took on board the wrath that your sins deserve. And so when Paul says to the Corinthians, the price is paid, this is it. This isn't just a, oh, I'll I'll, I'll knock a few grand off your mortgage. This isn't, I'll sort out your gambling debts. This is just massive. And, And this is what Jesus came. And so, when you, friend, when you believing, friend, think about your status, yes? It's not just, you've been called. He's paid for it. The whole price has been paid. that wrong attitude that you had on the way to church this morning the stuff you watched last night the things you thought about previously the whole mess of your pre-conversion life he's paid it all he's bought it and these Corinthians were sat around and they were bickering about oh I'm I'm a lord and I'm more important than you and oh dear he's a slave and it's all wrong and they were bought by the same price it's unifying Christ's blood and life was shed and given up for you and those of you that know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour like I said before you have a purpose but those of you that, that don't those of you that have maybe sat through countless sermons here And you've managed to leave unchanged. The wrath that was poured out upon Christ, that price that he paid for the sins of his people, is what you will have to pay for, for eternity. And you might say, well that's unfair, why do I have to pay for it for an eternity? Because the eternal Jesus paid for it on the cross, and what he went through in that moment, because he was eternal, was like eternity. And friends, the just reward for your sins, your disobedience, your just saying, God, I don't want you. You may have done nothing particularly bad in the world's eyes, but just not wanting God. Is that means that that is going to fall upon you for eternity. And what was special about the Corinthians? Nothing other than they called upon the name of the Lord and were saved. And and right now, here this this morning, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, you can come like these Corinthians who had a mess of a life. And they repented. And they believed. And they were brought into the kingdom. And the Apostle Paul was looking out at them and saying, you've been called. And the price has been paid. And it's the same for you here this morning. 
Those of you that are trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your saviour, the price has been paid and you've been called and you are in his kingdom. And so the question we should be asking ourselves, well, what next? What does that mean? And, and Paul has two uh, action points. So acting on our true status. He's speaking to the uh, Corinthians then and he's uh, speaking to us now. And there's, there's two Two points, one negative and one positive. And the negative one is, do not become a bondservant of men. Now this wasn't a commentary on slavery, it was figuratively speaking. He was using an illustration that they could see and understand. But by shorthand, very quickly, he was saying to these Corinthians, don't get caught up in the world. The world tells you that uh, being... Uh, single or married is the most or the wrong thing, or whatever the, the status of the day is. He's saying, don't get caught up in that. Don't get caught up in the world's values. The world is telling you that you should strive to be a freeman. The world is telling you that being a bondservant will get you higher on. No! Don't get caught up in the world's values. Don't see your value in the world. Don't become a bondservant of men. And it's exactly the same message that's being screamed out to us today. As, as Paul was telling the Corinthians that, we, we have to see this the same for ourselves. How do we become slaves of men? Well, possibly some of you here are slaves of your mobile phone. Possibly some of you here are slaves of the internet. Possibly some of you are slaves of your career. Possibly some of you are slaves of your family. It's all in the same bracket. It's been slaves of man. It's becoming bondservants to men. And you, that's, that's not your calling. You've been called and you've been bought by a price. And yes, these things are these other things. You seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That other stuff will work itself out. You don't have to worry about it. What you have to worry about is not becoming a bondservant to men. So maybe you need to evaluate your lives. Maybe you need to go back over this past week. Maybe you have to be thinking about the week coming. Where are the battle lines going to be? Maybe there's a, a battle going on in your mind right now. What is the score? We can be bondservants of men. But Paul doesn't just leave us with that, that negative. He gives us a positive. He gives us a positive to, to continue with. And so he says, So brothers, in whatever condition he was called, in whatever condition he was saved, therefore let him remain with God. Godliness with contentment is a great game. We need to remain with God. He was telling the Corinthians, Don't lose God. Stay content with your status, your work and your relationship. But stay with God. And, and there was this church at Corinth and people were, were trying to be upwardly mobile. They were trying to gain extra wealth and extra status and, and they missed the point. They missed the point. They were called and bought with a price. And like I said before, this is a common problem in the church. Common problem in our lives. There is covetousness and a self-determined drive for upward mobility to, to get what we want. And this is not our identity. When I was in financial services, I'm dealing with clients who didn't know the Lord as their saviour, just general everyday folk, lovely folk, lots of them. But the, 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 their aspirations were always the same. 
if they had a portfolio of 10,000, they just needed a bit more. If they had a portfolio of 100,000, they just needed a little bit more. If they had a portfolio of a million, they just needed a little bit more. And the world is always telling you, you need a little bit more. And this self-determined drive to get more is, is, is default within our sinful natures. And, and the way to, to lose this is to remind ourselves that we are called and to hold on to remain with God. Our identity and our value is not in the stuff we have. But our identity and value is being called by God. And it's not wrong to have aspirations. It's not wrong to be the best you can be in your field, in your area. And those, that's not what I'm saying. But that doesn't define you. If that's what's defining you, you've got it wrong. What should define you is the fact that you are called and you are bought with a price and you are God's and you need to remain with God. In those days, the male child, the male Jewish child, was circumcised at eight days. The child had no choice in the matter. Didn't give his consent. It was afflicted, if you want to, on them. And, and they'd had no stay in that status. And friends, that's, that's a reality for some of you here this morning. You, you have no say in some of the status that you have. Disability, health issues, mental health issues. You, you have no say in that. It, it, it's what your life lot is. It's what has been given to you. And some of you may feel, well, I'm in a dead-end job. Or some of you may feel, I'll never get out of this poverty trap as the government talks to us about and not for a moment am I going to discount those, those challenges. And our heart goes out to those who are suffering and struggling with disability and health and mental health issues. And it's, it, it's, it's so challenging for them. But friend, if you are in a situation now and you have no control over your status, those statuses, yeah? I just want you as a believer to take a step back and hear what Paul is saying. The big deal is not your mental health. The big deal is not your health. The big deal is not your job. You are not defined by any of those. Every one of you here who is trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Saviour, you are defined by the fact that you are called and you are bought with a price and you are redeemed. And within your, within your health issue, within your challenges... The fact that you are redeemed will enable you to overcome and enable you to go away that only you can through Christ. You see, the world looks on and maybe sees you as broken and frail. And God Almighty looks on at you and sees you as a child of His who He has called and bought with a price. Doesn't that put everything into perspective? everything into perspective and we get so messed up in this life because we look at it from the world's perspective and it causes fights in churches 
And Paul was saying, no, stop your fighting. Stop your fighting. Stop your bickering. Stop your getting lost in this world. Look at who you are. Look at what has happened. You are called and redeemed. In this social media age, we talk a lot about our statuses. Maybe some of you this morning updated your status on the way to church. I haven't seen that on the way to church yet. But what does your profile or status say about you? And if you're older, what does your house, your car, your retirement stay about you? What value have you put on yourself? Or to come back to the question we asked at the very beginning in the title, what is your self-worth? Because believer, if your value of self-worth is anything less than called and redeemed, you're selling yourself short of who you really are and you're in real danger of selling yourself out. And as the Corinthians saw, danger of making a wreck of a church. Let's pray. Almighty God, may each and every one of us here have a self-worth that's because we've been called by you and redeemed of you. May we know the wonder what it is to have the price of our sins paid. May we know the wonder what it is to be called by you. And as we look to you and as we look to what you've done for us, may the things of this world grow strangely dim, O Lord. May this circus that is our life around us make sense in the fact that we are yours. No, Lord God, any who do not know you, any who do not have this peace and this wonder of a relationship with you through Christ, we plead with you through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open blind eyes and break hard hearts and draw people to your loving self. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. I'd like us to sing our, our final hymn in response. Uh, my worth is not in what I own.
bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.